Hello and welcome to Film Festival Reviews, a place where independent filmmakers and film lovers stop by and listen in on what's happening in the indie film world via the film festival circuit worldwide. This is Christina Kotlar, your host, and lately I've been going to the big name film festivals going on the last and a few months and most recently being at Cannes Film Festival where I did get to see a lot of in-competition films. A real smorgasbord that I hope many will eventually find their way over to the New York area. Uh, you can find out more about that on the website filmfestivalreviews.com. So I decide it's time to check out some of the smaller regional destination type festivals that are more local. Uh, this one was only a five-hour drive into the Adirondack Mountains. The Lake Placid Film Forum went on from Thursday to Sunday, June 12th through the 15th. And this reminds me of other festivals where the town is known for another event. Lake Placid is synonymous with the Olympics. Uh, they had the Olympics there in 1932 and 1980. And the locals actually look forward to something more than just sporting events. So when artistic director Kathleen Carroll introduced the programming during Film Forum Weekend, I was impressed and really just excited at the blend of award-winning filmmakers, award-winning films, and award-winning writers whose books were turned into films and were screenwriters. The theme returns over and over again to filmmaking being a collaboration of talents and that finding the right recipe makes for the satisfying end result. Friday evening, uh, the film presentation of Frozen River, we had Courtney Hunt, the writer-director, Heather Ray and Chip Horhan, producers, and main actors Melissa Leo and Misty Upham. The theater was packed, every seat taken, and a few local film supporters uh, opted to stand in the back of the theater. Everyone uh, just tried to get in. Afterwards, they started filing past the filmmakers and the actors that were kind of standing on the side ready to go for the Q&A. And you just heard people really appreciating the whole film, especially the story. I saw Frozen River at an 8.30 a.m. screening at Sundance this year where it won the Grand Jury Prize for Dramatic Competition. I couldn't stop talking about it. I talked about it to everyone who came near me and more than likely to Kathleen Carroll who had heard about it and was making plans to see it opening night at New Directors New Films at the Film Society of Lincoln Center's film screening. And then I saw it listed at the Cannes Film Festival and finally it gets a homecoming here at Lake Placid Film Forum as the, the filming was done not far from Lake Placid in Plattsburgh, New York. So this is Courtney Hunt's feature-length debut. Her short version of Frozen River was screened in the 2004 New York Film Festival. As noted by 
Film Forum panelists. These are award-winning authors, William Kennedy, Richard Russo, as well as Russell Banks. About her writing in particular, they expressed that the narrative structure was so compelling and the acting so remarkable that the audience couldn't help but care so much about the characters, even if they didn't like them at first. Uh, Melissa Leo, known to many of us as the indomitable detective Kay Howard of Television's Homicide, and Misty Upham give unsentimental yet vulnerable performances as two desperate women who become unlikely and uneasy partners in a very dangerous and illegal enterprise crossing the frozen St. Lawrence River. This is the little bit of the smuggling action going on between the U.S. and Canada uh, through the Mohawk Reservation. So right there you can feel that there's all kinds of things going to be happening. I have an earlier conversation with Melissa Leo after Sundance in episode 48, Still Fiercely Independent. And this time I was able to get Courtney, Melissa, and co-producer Chip Horan for a short time before they had to go off and take part in the jury duties for the student films. Everyone gets involved in these gems on film festival weekends and you know the film will be released in theaters August 1st so keep an eye out for that. Okay um, let's get to this then and uh, enjoy the show. So um, I'm with Courtney Hunt right now, and we are sitting in a beautiful room overlooking this lovely lake and Whiteface Mountain in the background, Lake Placid yeah. Film Forum. And uh, yesterday, your film, Frozen River, was shown to a packed audience, standing room only. People just really said, I, I heard about this film and I, I want to come see it. Yeah. So how's that feeling from your win at Sundance, which is a completely different audience, but here you you filmed not too far away from here, so it was like coming home in sort of Yeah, it was definitely a hometown kind of screening. There were a lot of people from Plattsburgh came out, and um, it was great, you know, and I'm very familiar with the North Country, and we come to Lake Placid a lot, so it was very familiar, very nice feeling in the audience. I know we, we didn't have an opportunity to really have a Q&A, but I heard a lot of remarks where people were coming out and, and talking to you and talking to Melissa and uh, you know, making the comments on how much they loved it. And then we did have a little bit of a Q&A afterwards, so we had you there, Melissa, Misty, Chip, and uh, you were talking a little bit about uh, some of the production part that you were working on. Sure, we we made um, you know we made the film in this area in Plattsburgh, which is is really not far. And some of the the students, the Plattsburgh State students who had interned on the, on the film, came to see it, and that was it was really nice to see them again. And it was you know, and it's it's just great to to play a North Country story to a North Country audience. Why don't we just go back a little bit because uh, I know you're the writer, director on this, mm -hmm. Courtney. How did you get just this idea? Well, I had this idea since my husband's from Malone 
we sort of knew about the situation um, with smuggling at the border, as there are on probably every border in the world. There, there is, but the, certainly on this one. And um, I was interested. I was intrigued by the concept of people driving across the St. Lawrence River when it's frozen, as a way to avoid, you know, border patrol or whatever. And um, this image of why, of that of this car crossing the ice, a very powerful one to me. And more powerful um, to me was what would compel someone or why somebody would do that. Um, what circumstances in their life would lead them to, to, to do that for money. And so I was into, that notion was intriguing. When I learned that often women did it, I thought that was also intriguing. I'm interested in different ways that women, particularly, survive in, uh, economically in this country. And so that it's just sort of a topic that interests me in general and an adventure behind it or a sense of sort of courage it takes to make such a choice, you know, regardless of its legality, um, to me led to interesting characters. You know, there's been so much talk about this film since yesterday. Last night it was mentioned uh, at the second screening. Afterwards there was talk, you know, like in the bars. Today, uh, during, you were at a panel discussion today with, uh, with Melissa and Chip. And even afterwards there was a master class and they were talking about your story and how it was handled and the strength of it. Uh, from the character's point of view, from the way the, the film was, was going, the story itself, and of course the acting uh, part of it. Uh, Melissa just joined us here. Hello. And, <laughs> what I wanted to ask, again, there were a lot of people on the panel, is how you thought of the character and how you connected with Melissa. And then Melissa, what do you look for in film to, to really kind of say, I want to do this part? Well, I met Melissa at a film festival. She had come to screen 21 Grams, which was a very moving and powerful part that she played. And so I talked to her afterward and asked her if she would read a script of mine, which she agreed to do so. And then I, sh I sent her the short of this of Frozen River, and she read it and agreed to do it. So then she came up to the North Country and we froze in Messina shooting that one and why she came back and had anything to do with me further I'm astonished by but anyway I'm she, in love. she's in love <laughs> she loved the part and I think she she also she and Misty work really well together and there was something started in that short that really got expanded on in the feature and so that was sort of why I mean I felt she was a natural for this part and actually my husband's the one who said it he he's first cast her truthfully yeah and um, and he was right. And uh, when I saw her in the short, it was clear to me that there, were, there was no one else who would play this part better. Wow. Um, aren't, I, aren't, I, aren't I lucky that you thought that? Is um, that not true? Well, who knows? <laughs> Nobody else played it, so there you have it. That's right. I'm Ray Eddy. <laughs> um, after you. <laughs> Courtney was Ray Eddy throughout the entire writing of it. And, and one of the things that's a great success of the film is the way she so generously gave the role to me when it was mine. Because she had lived every moment, breathed every moment, moments I never will know because they didn't make it onto her page. Um, and the generosity with which she then handed me her part was astonishing to me. Um, 
and uh, so I think one of the things to go back to what you were saying about the um, people talking about it so much I think that Courtney has succeeded in making a real film a lot of the conversation today is what is a film what is filmmaking with all the various ways that you know, filmmaking can happen on, on iPhones and iPods and what have you, things I don't really pretend to understand. So she's really made a, a film. Would it have mattered incredibly if it was shot on the HD that we shot it on or if it was shot on 35mm? You know, who, who knows in the end? We shot it the way we shot it and there it is. And it's a seamless, flawless film. It's a film that is both um, entertaining in the sense of the adventure that it takes you on it's um, it educates you without um, you know, banging yourself over the head and it's a portrait that we all know of people that somehow our lives touch maybe real up close and maybe because we uh, you know give to the poor or something you know but somehow everyone is aware of these Americans living like this in America and um, you know so then she makes this gripping tale and throws caution to the wind and every good advice about you know well you have to have this to lead your film you have to have that to lead your film where's the men blah 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 these little Chris questions that didn't have anything to do with with her film I, I did the film um, because of the part because the money and Courtney well and the finances <laughs> I know it's so the comfortable big, now big money, yeah. but um, you know Courtney could have been a, a complete loser and I still would have gone and done that film because of the, the part it's very very rare that a woman gets an opportunity to carry a film that way without being you know chased by the devil mm -hmm. um, but in her own right carries carries the film um, so that opportunity, I feel that I have been really sort of in training for 30 years for that opportunity to come along. And then I totally lucked out because she not only wrote a brilliant script, she learned over the course of 26 days how to be a brilliant director. And she guided me in ways through that part that the role would not come off the same way if Courtney wasn't at the home. So I will take credit for what I brought to it, but I also must recognize that we couldn't have done it without it without this leader as our leader. I uh, came to I actually never even want I mean I like writing but directing feels more natural and makes more sense to me just intuitively and um, but writing I had to learn and I really learned that at Columbia I have to say they, they, they were helpful in that way um, and, and on directing too that, that uh, you know you learn really by doing and they make you do a lot. You, know, you get out there and you direct things. Um, but but I always wanted to direct, and I've kind of always known that, even in college and when I was a little little girl. Um, and that's something that's really guided my entire path. Although it's taken a strange route, but it that has been sort of the guiding idea. Now, Chip, how did you get into this whole fold? And you're surrounded by these very strong women, you know, they're, they're very talented and, you know, just uh, for somebody that, that could be a little daunting, but you're, you're just right in there and, and you're... You know. He did it for the money. I for the, yeah, for the big, <laughs> big money. Um, well, I'm comfortable being and working around women. I, I always point to the fact that 
for a year and a half of my college experience, I went to school at a women's college where there were three men and 2,000 women. So I got, Chip's a smart boy. I'm a smart boy. Yes. I, I figured out my... And I was supposed to go there for half a, half a year for one semester, and I figured out how to stay. <laughs> but um, what happened again, we met, Courtney and I met, at this very same small film festival in Chatham, New York, right. and which is there it's I had uh, written and directed a very small film a feature called Glissando and it played there and and Courtney was on the board of people who reviewed the films and I got to meet her and then the next year I had produced a film that was also shown at the same festival and we there was a we had a, a cocktail gathering and Chip was drunk. I was drunk, which is the best time to talk me into projects. And um, and we were there, and we got together. She started telling me about the story. It sounded fascinating. She sent me the script, and it was great. And then we went through the hellish process of two years of trying to get this film made. And we already knew we knew who our leads were. And it was just trying to figure out sort of the, the aspects of physical production to make the thing happen. And, um, and let, were, I think I just want to interrupt yeah. here just to yeah. say that, you know, Chip and I worked really hard to pre-produce the film way before it was funded because we knew that when the money and if the money arrived in, my husband, Don Harwood, is executive producer and he was gathering the money as quickly as possible, but we knew that once we got to that point, there might be no time for pre-production, and it turned out there was not. So Chip we and went. I had been everywhere already. Doing the locations, yes. scouting. Which was critical, you know, right. to such a short amount of time. We really need to know where we're going to be. And, and we kind of done a lot of we, yeah, we, we did all our homework. We had our, we had our language down. We knew exactly what it was that yes. we wanted. And it was just a, it, then it was... When the money came and we were ready to go, we had nine days of pre-production for a feature film. If you're listening at home, kids... Don't do that. Do not try this at home. <laughs> this is wrong. It is wrong. But we, we, we were limited by when the financing came and more importantly, when the ice froze. Because due or to thought. Or, or thought, or yeah, and it, well, it hadn't, it hadn't even when we came up and did our scouting, we looked out in the middle of winter right. on a lake which had rippling water, and we were saying, yeah, and they're going to drive out across there, and we crossed our fingers and hope, hope for the best, and then a cold snap came of great severity uh, and, a, and, and a major storm, and that froze the river, froze the, the lake that was our river. But to Chip's credit, I have to add that, you know, he had a Rolodex of, of crew, and he very carefully chose people for this project, especially in this case of Alfonso, the first AD. He, he picked somebody who could not only handle the insanity of the schedule and, and continuously recreate it, because it had to be adjusted all the time, and deal with the weather and deal with it. but someone who was really f absolutely fine working in a in, on a shoot that had one director, two women leads, woman DP, woman producer. It was completely fine. And it takes a it takes a real man to do that. And 
he, he really was. And I think Ch to Chip's credit, he knew how to make that mix work. It's good. Chip also brought to the project his many years of experience. And, and Chip is a, is, a, is a particular kind of producer that really gets what the low budget world is. And he's yeah. not trying to find more money or more this, or can we do it this other way? But the way to make thing po things possible when you have nothing. That's how Chip works. It's his joy and his pleasure, oddly enough, it would seem. <laughs> yep. And um, that was a blessing to us, too, because we didn't have somebody there that was trying to shift it into some other thing that it could be in any way, Which shape, can or happen. Form. Absolutely, you know, all the time. It happens all the time, right? And also, you had to work with the, uh, the Indian nation. This was my first introduction to really see it in depth and for me to understand how, what the workings were. Well, Heather well, Ray yes. took the lead on that. Um, Heather Ray has ties to the Native community in, in the country, the nationwide community. And um, she really took the lead when it came to casting Mohawks from the um, Ganawaga Reservation um, and was able to um, get cast 13 Mohawk actors, some of whom were first time, some of whom were second time actors, but basically new to film and brought them in, you know, cast had a casting call and brought them in and really, uh, you know, was critical to that process. And she's a great producer in her own right. And so, you know, that was huge. I mean, every one of these people, including Heather, were essential to this project and it simply would have failed without them. I'm getting a lot of buzz on the internet. New York Women in Film and Television and Cinewomen are talking about that it's opening in August, mm -hmm. August 1st. And so it's like one of those rare women films that you don't have the opportunity to, good ones, good ones. Yeah, yeah I think it's really a misstep to step out the door calling it a, a women's film in spite of all of these women involved in it. I have a son who in two days will be 21 years old and his... I don't um, want to call it a chick flick by his, any His, his viewing so of the film, his comment afterwards, 20 minutes after he watched it, is, oh, we're all girls in that movie. Which it was his way of saying, well, he had watched it. He had been not only entertained, but completely en enraptured with it. And there wasn't someone for him to identify with necessarily as a boy. He can't read a book if it's not led by a, a, a young man. Um, and so that he didn't, he watched the film not even noticing that it's this female film is what the film is. It's not a women's film. It just happens yeah, it really to have been made by women exclusively women's no. concerns. What it concerns is survival, and I think everyone can relate to that, and dads um, can relate to all the parenting stuff, the motherhood stuff, all the dealings with the children. And the young, and and the young man taking his responsibility in the right, family. Right, and sort of having, and I think men maybe w relate to it in this way, I certainly did, um, that the, the TJ has, is being forced to be more of an adult than he should be, because there's doing, no man in the house. He was doing kid stuff. Right, those little, and and so at the end, and I've been asked this many times, like what you know, what's the deal with when the when the Mohawk chief comes and uh, and he and, you know, and he says you know makes the kid apologize, and you know I said that's the only dad we've seen in this movie. He's a dad. Doesn't matter what culture he comes from. This is a young man and an older man. And he's telling him a few things, and I, that that to me is. Um, those kind of things, I think, make it a little more of a universal story, and also there is an action quality to it, which I think has maybe unfairly, you know, been cr the criticism of what you 
quote unquote women's films is there's not enough action. And this film has a, quite a bit of action. These women are doing things traditionally done by men. I know, using a gun. <laughs> <laughs> For emphasis, really. <laughs> emphasis. That's right. Yeah, I think it's important that it's not, it's not an issue film. It's not a women's film. It's a story. It's a damn good story. And that's... And it could, could go either way. The tension that was there, someone else said that the tension started from the beginning and continued throughout the entire film. And you in know, a way, we have a lot of other filmmaking helping us, a lot of lesser filmmaking helping us, because all of those things that people have seen, and oh, yeah, you know that's going to happen now. And Courtney doesn't take it there. And it happens again and again and again in the film, where you think it's going to go is not where it ends up. I know, that's what I liked about it, because I said there were a couple of ways it could go, and, you know, and normally I can predict, and I'm saying, okay, you know, it's going to go this I way, know. then bam, you know, it's like, ooh, 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 you know, she took me somewhere else here, you know, and she's in a taking believable me somewhere, way. very, very much so. Yeah, my yeah. husband hates to go to the movies with me, because I sit there and go, uh, oh no, and one thing will happen to me, that means that character's going to die, you know, and I'm always telling me, he's like, please, <laughs> you know, but I don't like that. I don't like to know what's going to happen. You can't help it, I don't it, like though, to see the way it coming. Said it. But, you know, yeah. audiences are very smart. And we have been trained by the Hollywood movies we've seen to know what's coming. You know, to their certain formulas, and you can follow them. And I think as we evolve and move beyond that, we're going to be uh, okay with not knowing sometimes what the heck's even going on in a movie. You know, it takes a while to get up to speed as to what even is going on with this reality. Who is this one? And I think that's good stuff. You know, I think that keeps your audience awake. And I really respect the audience to catch on, and they do. They do. Yeah, everybody did. Okay. Well, um, thank you so much for your time. You know, because I know this is the, the film forum for the weekend, and there's a lot of things going on. You're on a jury also for the student film. Yeah, that's a 24 hour film. Yeah, I think we are the jury. Yeah. You yes. are the jury. Yeah. And then after this, uh, you're, you're still going to other film festivals? Yes. Everything. I hope to see you around. Uh, Melissa, you've got a lot of good work uh, that's, uh, that you've been doing, that you're, you're just completing also. You're working on some new stuff. Yep. It, it's so weird because this thing's already done. You're kind of ready to go on other things, but you have to come back because now people are just starting to catch on. That's so and true. they want to hear you talking about it again, and you're like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm off to my other stuff there, but I'm, I'm, I'm really, really excited about this film from the time I saw it at Sundance, and I can't wait to see it in the big theater, oh, you know, theaters so all much. over. The, so thank you, and uh, thank see, you. I can't wait to see more stuff. Okay, okay. we'll see you around, I'm sure, right? Yes. Okay. okay. Thanks so much. The following couple of hours after Frozen River's screening and Friday evening uh, became a fun and surprising sampling of film projects and discussion with Jonathan Demi as he opened up a portfolio of works in progress and he was talking about them so enthusiastically you can't help but be excited for him. This was a rare opportunity, almost like walking into a scientist's 
laboratory and getting a tour of the newest scientific experiment going on. What is so amazing about Jonathan Demme is his work reflected in so many different categories, features, documentaries, music, television, and so varied in a span of 35 years. But it's not only the range of work, but the degree of excellence and production, as well as the storytelling. That's that's the difference. First he showed several pieces he called documentary portrait from home movies of the Ninth Ward, charting aspects of people rebuilding their lives and homes years beyond the aftermath of Katrina. Viewers get a sense of these characters as next-door neighbors, but it's Demi's own humanism that turns these portraits into real human beings, close enough that you can feel drawn into wanting to know what's going to happen next in their lives. and. You can call them neighbor, as he puts it. He never had to take on projects to maintain an extravagant lifestyle, so he has always been able to choose his projects that were worthwhile, trying to make something really good and worth watching. Finally, Jonathan Demme warns that only rock and roll diehard should remain for the big and bold rocking Neil Young's trunk show. A slide call to play this excerpt at the loudest volume, and so they did. We saw this 20-minute uh, piece of Neil Young blasting away on his guitar in the signature Neil way, a testament to his intensity that was almost too much to bear and the suspense keeping us in awe of Neil Young's stamina. It was so intense and loud and great that the people next to me got up and left the theater. Well, I just moved into their seats and settled front row and center and immersed myself in this mesmerizing guitar meandering, taking me back to the days when I did go and see big concerts in historic theaters, just like this beautiful historic palace theater here in Lake Placid. After the final waning, whining notes from his triumphant end, only then you can see the audience, uh, that there was an audience in the film. Uh, he said he had seven or eight cameras on Neil and the stage, and the cutting went exactly how I imagined I would want to watch a concert and the musician in charge. The Film Forum audience cheered with appreciation, wanting more. It was a great way to end Friday night with a big grin on Jonathan Demme's face as he graciously stayed outside the theater talking to people, still lingering as if really waiting for Neil Young to step outside with his band packing up after a small gig in rural downtown Main Street, USA. I had a good time there. and. I hope I could get Jonathan Demi on the show sometime because he's got some great things to say for independent filmmakers. You never know, maybe we'll get him on here sometime. He's got a lot of projects going on and I'd love to hear more about uh, Rachel getting married and home movies from Night's Ward and I'm sure there are other things always cooking up. He's like one of those mad scientists, always coming up with new things and getting it right. So, 
Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>